0: The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates in success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams hey guys welcome to another episode of the img Roadmap podcast today's guest is dr nina snowden can you believe that we have the same name and she's just so <laughs> awesome welcome to the show dr snowden how are you
1: i am fine thank you for having me yes we do have the same name it's actually great
0: <laughs> yeah only great people have that name nina
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you located right now Right now, I am actually in Delray Beach, Florida. That's where I was completing all of my core rotations Well, the last part of my clinical core rotations
0: Wow, that's awesome. Nice and sunny Florida.
1: Yes. And, uh, most people will not know much about you. So can you just give us a little bit of your background? Yes. So I am a USIMG. I am also a registered dietitian. I did undergrad at University of Florida because Florida is my home, along with Atlanta as well. And after undergrad, I ended up getting my master's in clinical science from Mercer University School of Medicine, and that was to prepare me for medical school. Prior to that, of course, I was a registered dietitian. I'm still a dietitian, but I don't really talk about that too much because I haven't really practiced in that capacity in some time. But yeah, I got my master's and then I went on to medical school at St. George's University School of Medicine. And now I'm an outgoing fourth year graduate. And I just matched into an OBGYN residency at Medical College of Wisconsin.
0: That is so awesome. Congratulations. That is major. So you're going to be moving from Florida to Wisconsin.
1: Yes. You ready for the cold weather? (laughs) I am not ready at all, but, you know, I think it will be okay. I have started, you know, getting my gear as they call it. I've never owned a winter jacket. (laughs) So so like a real one, but I have one now, so I'm, I'm ready for it. Hopefully the global warming will come into effect the four years that I'm there and it won't be as cold.
0: All right. It wouldn't be too bad. Don't worry about it. You'll be <laughs> fine. You'll be in the hospital all the time anyway. So it wouldn't matter.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Yeah. So let's
0: just let me just ask you this question. So you went to Caribbean Medical School and now you're about to com you just are completing your fourth year and will be starting residency in OBGYN, but you're a US citizen. So did you receive some backlash? with choosing to go to a Caribbean school? Like, what was that like for you?
1: I definitely received backlash. Number one, I'm much older and I had a career prior to even wanting to go to medical school. So my family was saying, you know, what's wrong with you? Why why do you want to like start medical school at age 40, right? So I had a tragedy happen to me and that is what really motivated me more so to want to make a change and go to medical school. My family wanted me to stay in the U.S., of course. I tried to apply to U.S. schools. I only applied to four, though, because it was late in the cycle. And they were actually osteopathic schools that I applied to. And I got waitlisted on two, and two of them I didn't hear from. And so one of the doctors that was at the hospital that I delivered my last baby, she actually went to SGU. And we just had a conversation, you know, right then and there. And, you know, I just told her what I wanted to do. And she actually encouraged me to apply to St. George's. And I did. And I got in. And so I just felt from there, it's like the dominoes just started. And it was just an easy transition for me. And I just felt like this is really the path that I should be taking because it just seemed like the doors were opening. And I had dealt with doors closing so much prior to that, so I just took the leap of faith. In I'm glad I did, and I wouldn't have changed it. Wow, that's
0: amazing, Dr. Snowden. Because to have a career going for you, you could have just also never taken the risk, right, yeah. to pursue this path. So, you know, I met you in person. We met actually once before at Still MD when we I heard, held the dinner in Atlanta a couple of years ago. But I so I know a little bit more about your story, but I would like you to just share with the audience what you choose to, but can you give us perspective as to the fact that you're a mother and you have children and you were making these decisions through that, giving up a career that's secure, right? Because as an RD, you had a job, like you weren't without options.
1: I had my own consulting
0: firm. Yes. Well, there you go. And so then you chose to stop all of that and go back to school. And you did that after having your children. Can you just give us like, how old are your kids? Like give us perspective. Because I really feel like it's such a phenomenal story and it'll be very encouraging for women, and even men that think it's too late to start mm-hmm. or it's too late to pursue the things that they have wanted to do
1: because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, just, do you mind sharing some about that? No, I can share some of that. So I was a young teenage mother. I had my my first at 16 and my parents were not having that <laughs> so they emancipated me and i was out on my own and i lived on the street for some time and you know then i ended up getting married to my child's father and we lived in a trailer for a long time then i had a second child and it was just you know a very hard life during that time though i still continued high school i graduated and then i Ended up going to the University of Florida and just driving. You know, I still had to be there for the babies, but I drove every single day to class and drove back home and all of that. And I did that for that time. And just fast forward, I ended up getting divorced after around 12 years. That, you know, was very devastating, but, you know, it just needed to happen. And I ended up remarrying again. And I was much older and thinking pregnancy will be the same, right? And so I ended up getting pregnant with our first child. And at that time I was already a registered dietitian and I am skipping over a lot of things but I'm trying to make this story short, but I, I was already a registered dietitian. I already had my consulting company and I was deemed high risk. And so, I could not work as much as I used to work and I had to let go of my insurance because it was too expensive. And so I ended up getting governmental assistance with Medicaid and my care changed. My canola no go to the doctor that I had because he did not accept Medicaid. So I had to go to a different doctor and I was just not getting treated properly. And I just remember having a lot of pain and telling the doctor I was having pain. And he was very dismissive, never checked me, never put me on any type of monitor to see if I was actually having contractions, didn't really do any ultrasound until the next day he did an ultrasound just to check my cervix to see if it was closed. And it was, and he just really said, oh, you know, you have fibroids, which is very common for black women. And, you know, I just wouldn't worry about it because, you know, that's something that happens. And I was like, okay. But I kept telling him, this feels rhythmic. I've had a baby before. I know what labor feels like. And he was like, no, just, you know, don't worry about it. Your service is closed. So he sent me home. And that night I still was in pain. And the next day I had what they call the bloody show. Sorry, TMI, but I had that. And I called the doctor and I said, this is what's happening to me. And basically... They dismissed it over the phone to say, hey, you know, when we do cervical checks, sometimes you have those type of things. I was like, no, this is new. I had to basically beg him to come back to the office. I came back to the office. They didn't ultrasound. They were like, oh, crap, you're dilated. You're going to have to be admitted. So it just like went <laughs> into like a spiral, you know. And so I got admitted that day. That actual hospital was not even equipped to take a micro preemie at that time. I was around 24 weeks They diagnosed me with incompetent cervix, and I was fighting that diagnosis because I said, I have no history of any of these things. Why would I now have an incompetent cervix? They still stuck to that anchoring bias, as I learned in medical school, that is. And other doctors supported that diagnosis. I then was transferred to another hospital. Now, mind you, this is over like a week's time this is happening, right? I was in Trindellenburg for that entire time for the most part and my blood pressure was really low. They did not want to give me steroids. It was that gray area of viability. And they just did not want to give me steroids. They told me my baby was going to be dead, all these different things. it was very traumatic, honestly. And I ended up having him. He was born alive. He was born breech. And because I had signed papers regarding his care, because the hospital that I went to, the neonatologist said, you know, you don't want to have a baby like this. If he is born alive, he will have cerebral palsy. You know, I've seen this tear people apart, tear their families apart. I mean, they were really just guiding me to not do anything for this baby, right? And so in my mind, I thought he was going to be born dead and he was not born dead. I'm sorry, I'm getting on to <laughs> He was born alive and I had to sit there and watch him die. And so from that experience, I decided that this should not be happening in a first world country. Why am I getting treated this way? Why did they not like, do everything they possibly could? And no one had any answers for me. And the doctor that I went to that you know made the initial diagnosis was not apologetic at all. I remember having a conversation after asking him if he could have done something different, would he? And he folded his arms and said, no, he wouldn't have done anything different. And he was not even sorry. He just said, you can always have another baby, you know? So that put the fire under me. And I said, I would not let this happen to anyone if I can help it. And so that is why I decided to go to medical school. And that is why I decided that it was something more that I needed to do in this world, And so even though that was a tragedy for me, I am turning it into a positive light so I can be there for others in that capacity if I can. And that's basically what happened.
0: Nina, I wish I could just like reach out and give you a hug right now because that's, (laughs) it's okay. It's all right. We just thank you for sharing that bit of your life with us because it did not happen in one minute or two minutes. That's probably years and years of dealing with different aspects of that, which we cannot even understand because we were in there, but you even just opening up to share that with us as your motivation for wanting to do this. And now yeah. you're going into your OBGYN residency program and you're going to be that physician for other women who can feel like they, they're they being heard yeah, and they're being taken care of. That is change, like that is huge. What you're going to do with your career, thank you. and and I applaud you for being so strong, holding on to your dream and and the goals that you have for yourself up until now, to where you're about to start really walking in that destiny almost in June. Right. This year. Right. Yeah. So proud of you. So thank proud you. Of
1: you. Thank you. Yeah. So I was able to see both spectrums. You know, I saw what it's like. You know, for people that could potentially not have better care because of their healthcare situation, you know, their insurance. And then when I had insurance, I had the best care. You know, I'm not saying that it happens to everyone, but the healthcare disparities is a real thing. It is a real yeah. thing, and it's very unfortunate because I feel like everyone should be able to be treated the same. You know, it should not matter the color of your skin or your socioeconomic status. And, you know, that is a big, big flaw with our healthcare system here in the U.S. So I'm, I'm hoping that if I can make a little dent in it, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I recently became, of course, a member of ACOG and I joined their mentorship program that they have because they're lacking in African-American or even just brown skin people that are mentors in ACOG. And so I joined, I have no idea about being a mentor, but I said, you know, I will just learn and see what I can do to help others. And I now have four mentees that our first meeting is on tomorrow, actually. And that was one of the things that they were saying when their messages, they were like, oh, we've been waiting to have someone of color and I never could find anyone. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is really sad, you know? So hopefully, you know, I can help in that capacity as well. I do want to, you know, get involved in the leadership aspect of ACOG so I can go to DC and lobby for things that can help, can help with our healthcare disparities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's pretty amazing that you're dedicating your career to correct the wrongs that were done to you and also you know, improve the lives of other people that are coming behind you right now by choosing to even be a, become a mentor. So that's that's pretty cool. So, you know, usually on the podcast, people want to know how Dr. XYZ matched into specialty XYZ. In your case, you're Dr. Snowden and you are an IMG and you are matching into OBGYN, which is a surgical specialty also, as much as it is uh, medical and you are probably going to have many people asking you, how do you get OBGYN as an IMG? Because maybe they feel like they're being pushed into doing primary care because it's more spots, it's easier to get in and what whatever reason that they may have. But mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? What would you say was your secret sauce? What was your journey on? Like?
1: <laughs> My secret sauce was listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> was my secret sauce I mean oh, you God. have so many resources and you provide so much for us and if people just listen and not only listen but take action and do then I think that they will have a lot better chance in matching into what they want to match into
0: yeah I yeah, agree because
1: I mean the stuff is there you don't have to reinvent it you know mm-hmm. what I mean you just have to listen and take action you give the steps mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was what I what I did I remember <laughs> one time you had like a, I think it was an IG live or something, or someone was live. It was Dr. Barry, he, uh, Dr. Barry Pierre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember he was that. live. And so I said something on there and you said, what you need to be doing is asking him, how can you get a observership? How could you be doing this? And I was like, you know what? She is so right. And you said on there, you guys need to be contacting these programs and finding out if you can do any type of observership, finding out what they want in an applicant, you just started like giving gems. And from there, I started writing my list of what programs I wanted to do, go to, and I contacted programs. And that was really my way that I chose to try to network. Wow! And it worked because the program director, so my program director of my program, I met her like six months prior to even applying to the program, Mm -hmm. right? I met her at a virtual conference and this was through SNMA and they had like a recruiting conference that had every specialty, right? Right. So anyone could have come, you just had to register. It was free. So I did that and I met her there and she was there with her only one African-American resident because the program is pretty big, it's 32 residents total. And it's only one African American now Two, because I'm there, but she's outgoing fourth. Now she's going to be fourth year going. So, but you know, they wanted to recruit and diversify if they could. Right. And so I met her, I told her my step scores. I said, you know, I know your program has really high step scores, what they're you know, looking for. I don't have that. <laughs> I said, but what I do have is the capability to learn. I am a team player. I'm ready to work and be definitely interested if you're interested in me. And so we just had a really just good conversation. And she asked me at the end, would I apply? And I said, I would. And she told me there, she was like, no, you realize that Wisconsin is the most segregated place in the US. Mm-hmm. And so I said, no, I did not know that. But I am not afraid of it if that's what you're asking. And so she said, Well, I wanted to make sure that you knew that ahead of time. And, you know, with everything going on in the world, it's time for us to diversify. You know, she said she felt like they didn't have the diversity because when people would go to their website, they would see a whiteout. That's what she Mm -hmm. said. And, you know, she was a resident and then a faculty, and now she is a program director of that program. So she has a lot of history. right? And so she said, basically, you know, it hasn't changed since I was a resident. And, you know, she went away to do a fellowship in PAGS, and then she came back as a, you know, as a faculty. And so her mission was to change this program around. And so I told her, I would like to be a part of that change. And so, you know, we just stayed in contact. And when it was time with ERAS and everything, I basically told her, you know, I reached back out to her and I said, hey, I am going to be applying as we, you know, had our conversation. And she said, I'll be looking for your application. And so I did that and she got my application. She told me ahead of time, they're not using filters. They're looking at all the applications. This is the approach that she wanted to take. Wow. And so- she did that and I interviewed and obviously they ranked me high because I ended up matching there and they were my, they were actually my number two program.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And I just want to highlight some key points for everybody listening so they can take home some very key things. One of them was that you didn't start your process on the day that you hit submit on ERAS. You started looking out for these opportunities by one reaching out and looking for networking opportunities. And then when you found it, you took action and you actually did something about it. And then when you did, doors started to open up as far as you started to meet attendings and program directors like you did before even going into ERAS and hitting submit. So by the time you're submitting, programs know about you and they have some kind of um, likability or knowledge factor. And I think that's big for IMGs is creating relationships with the people in power will go a long way in networking. So I really, I really like that you shared that because that's really what you did. It's what you're telling us is you developed this relationship and you just happened to have been in the right place at the right time also because you were networking with somebody that was also looking to recruit you as far as they you had what they were also looking for.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So I I think it was you know it's sort of one of those things almost divine, but definitely lots of hard work on your part as well.
1: Yeah. And I want to say just in case, you know, so people know, like they were my number two, but only because of the location and the fact that I have no family there. They really should have been my number one program just because of the type of program it is. I was told I would never be able to get into an academic program. I was told that Wisconsin, that school is a private school. They, do not, they don't like IMGs. I was told all these things from my advisor. Um, and my advisor was like, "I would not even rank them high. They're not going to rank you high." And if the program director told you they like you, don't believe them. That's, that's what that I was is, told.
0: And that just tells me, like, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of hearsay in mm-hmm. in this whole business. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes, and when we advise or anybody advises, it's like you don't know anything as for a fact, right? Right. Like we cannot it's too much of a blanket statement to say, no, they're not acting with good intentions because they're Wisconsin or that they don't have one Black resident at their program. Like, I just find that so incorrect because you just never know what a program, and what if they don't even get, what if they really just like you as an applicant? Exactly, exactly. And then there's just, you know, just a lot of negative information out there, almost perverse in a sense, because it distracts us, the IMG, and it actually pushes that rhetoric that we're less than, I mean, yes. now we can't get into an academic program because we're an IMG. I mean, like what in the world?
1: Yes, Listen, it pushes the rhetoric. So that I applied to 430 programs <laughs> That because I was thinking I'm not going to match. So I just went off to the extreme. Right. Yeah. Because I was like, that's I am lot. going to apply everywhere. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a lot of programs. That's for sure. I've never heard anybody do that many
1: <laughs> 430
0: most people I've heard is like 70 to like 130 or so, but that's... Yeah, like- no. You know,
1: because I applied to three specialties. Okay. okay. So that's okay. why I ended up being that many. Yeah. Yeah. So what three did you apply into? So I applied to family medicine, which I actually applied to more family medicine programs than I did for any of them. And then I applied OB and then internal medicine. And which one did you want the most, would you say? The most... Oh, I would say OB because I ranked them high. And then I put family medicine under there. Yeah. So how I was many comfortable? I was comfortable with both.
0: Right, right. How many OB interviews did you get out of what you applied? So
1: I applied to like a hundred and I want to say a hundred and seventy something OB programs. I only got five interviews. And family medicine were how many? yeah family medicine was like 197 i think and i got 30 i got 20 i'm sorry 23 interviews so total 31 because the other ones were internal medicine
0: oh wow so you had to cancel some interviews
1: i did i did i canceled 10 interviews because also the reason why i canceled 10 once i had several interviews i started to feel like okay I have a good feeling about these things and I don't want to just interview just to be interviewing. I knew a lot of people that were just hoarding the interviews and I was starting to be that way and I did not want to be that way. So I had to catch myself and I knew people that did not have interviews. And so I felt like if I know for sure that I'm not going to Kansas, you know what I mean? Then why am I interviewing there? So I basically gave up ten of those interviews, which were there were actually nine family medicine and one internal medicine that I gave up. Wow! And And that's you know hopefully about other people. Yes, I'm hoping that other people were able to get those interviews and they were able to you know rank those programs
0: yeah yeah that's very thoughtful of you to do some people just hoard it
1: <laughs> yes yeah you, yes. you
0: don't realize when you cancel like that what you're doing is you're allowing that program to then go into their second tier wait list and take somebody out of there and invite them for interviews.
1: exactly yeah
0: exactly so people are gonna want to know they'll be like man 30 some how did she get that that's just so special <laughs> da, da. so can you tell us like do you want to share any about your USMLE
1: performance like sure. how special that you were that you got 30 some interviews <laughs> So my USMLE step one score was not good. You know, I made a 200. That really put me in a really bad space. You know, when I got my score back, I was happy that I passed, but I felt like I might as well have failed it. You know, that's how I felt initially, because we were always told if you did not make a 220 or higher, which was considered to be average, you can forget it. And so because our advisors, at least my advisor I will speak on, when they tell you these things, you're in your mind. This is why I feel also that people go off on the deep end and want to like commit suicide because they're thinking, oh my God, I've spent all this money. Now I'm in all this debt and now I cannot even do this. And so they go off on the deep end and we, we've we had that happen in our school. So they just have to be careful about the words and how they choose to tell you things. But I definitely felt very depressed after seeing that score But walking away from there, I knew I hadn't done well because I hadn't answered a lot of the questions. I was running out of time. I was never a really good test taker, right? So I had to really practice, practice, practice for step two. And I knew that I needed to get a minimum of a 20-point increase to show programs that I am capable of doing it. And so my approach to step two was when I started my clinical rotations, I started practicing UWorld from there. I didn't wait to the last minute and I just really got better with my test taking skills and being able to read and comprehend better. And I ended up getting like a 25 point increase on my step two, which I thought was really good because for me, I was, you know, I was praising God for that because I knew it could have been worse because I still struggle with the time factor. And it's just an ongoing thing for me. I'm just not one of those people like to rush. So, (laughs) but yeah, those are my scores. So those are some obstacles because they were considered to be very mediocre, not even mediocre, they were under average. And so trying to apply to a surgery subspecialty, that's why my advisor was telling me, it's just, he was like, that ship has sailed. That's what he said, that ship has sailed for you. You know, you either need to go into family medicine. And he said to me, you might, you probably can't even go into internal medicine. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Who was your advisor? (laughs) (laughs) His name is Dr. Madden. He is, and if you talk to any SGU student, they know Dr. Madden because he always, it's very, very just mean and just very demeaning. If you score above 230, 240, he's nice to you. But if you score like below 220, he is so mean. He's so, so, so mean to you. And just, he doesn't care. He doesn't care how it comes across. And he's been doing this for a long time, he says. And so he's basically just projecting how he feels it's going to go because he's seen this happen to several students. But like I told him, you don't know me like that. Right. Not to bring religion in this, but I am a believer in, in God. And I said, you know, I am a child of God and I believe that whatever is out there for me, whatever you say, it does not matter because it will happen.
0: Right. And and, and the truth know, is like, it's so sad because a person like that in a position of influence over students is the reason why students leave feeling like they're not worthy yes. of whatever they're trying to pursue. And they don't have the courage or the confidence to pursue that, which they really truly desire. Yes. And then that translates into them not being able to take action and and even work toward doing better. Now yeah. I'm not saying that you're just gonna anybody's gonna fail through medical school and just make it in. We know that's not gonna happen. But for those that those of us that didn't do exceptionally well on USMLE. Why aren't they also telling us how to be better on the next step or how to take action in some other areas and leverage other parts of our application instead of selling the rhetoric that we're doomed? And the whole idea that family medicine is like the bottom of the barrel and it'll take anything is a myth. Yes. It's not a dumping ground. Like there's actually people that want to be family doctors. Yes. And so it's just, you know, it's just a perverse way of thinking, but you know, I'll
1: just get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, I think I, I, think wanted, to, that I is- wanted to hear who this person was. It was like such bad advice. It is very bad. I mean, even for this application cycle, he told me not to apply. He wanted me to take a year off. He wanted me to take some Kaplan course that my school gives, which I would have to pay for. Because they say, oh, yeah, we pay for it. But no, they just increase your loans. (laughs) And so, you know, they wanted me to take this Kaplan course. And he wanted me to go into the 2022 match, not this one. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do what I need to do. And, you know, I'm not taking some Kaplan course. I'm just going to take this comp test that the school provides. And I'm going to continue studying how I study. And I will go from there. And you're right. He was like that little thing that you have on your shoulder, the evil person that's telling you, don't do that. You know, you need to do this, you know? And I just, I had to really just like ignore it because it definitely puts a damper on your spirit because you feel like you're incompetent. You feel like I can't do it. And that's the rhetoric that they're putting out there a lot of times. And I know it's, he's my advisor. I've heard that there are some advisors there that, you know, were good and all of that, but I did not have that. I did not have that. And any SGU student that you speak to, if you ask them about Dr. Madden, they will definitely be like, oh yeah, yeah. He's very, very.
0: <laughs> 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 That's awesome. So let's get back into what we we're talking about before I sort of side- sidetracked you there with that advisor question. So you were telling us, you know, you told us about your, your assembly performance. You said, in your own words, not stellar, not stellar. But here mm-hmm. you are. You did improve on step two CK. And then you really leverage networking. So I don't want to speak for you, but can you just carry on with some of the advice you were giving applicants who are looking into OB?
1: Yeah, so recently I just told them, right now the residency fairs are about to start, a lot of them. And then one thing I encourage people to do, whatever specialty that you're trying to get involved in, you need to join those professional organizations that go with that specialty. So then you can have access to what's going on and then make yourself, get involved, go to those local district meetings, or if they're not in person and they're virtual, join them and go to the residency fairs. And that is a form of networking. And I think it's super, super important to do so. Another thing that I recommended, because I had such low, you know, step scores, I also was ready to soap. And so one thing that I saw this term, and I don't know this time, and I don't know if this happens every time, but there are a lot of people reaching out to me about letters, you know, how did they get these letters of recommendations? Because I was able to get letters of recommendation from every core. And I was preparing to soap. Like my mind, after taking step one, I was like, okay, this is going to be my approach. I can now start my clinicals. I need to get letters of recommendation. So I have them and I'll be ready to soap just in case. So that is what people should be doing, trying to get letters of recommendation from all the specialties that they can. You don't have to be interested in all of them, but you just never know what soap is going to be like, right? And if you're not willing to wait until the next match cycle and you're willing to take you know, something different, then you need to have the stuff that you need so you can put those applic- put the application and have the letters of recommendation ready to go with those applications. And so that's what I did, and I encourage people to do the same. Those are the main two things, networking, being prepared to soap, and making sure that if your school, I know not every school doesn't, it's called MSPE. I know every school doesn't do that, but my school does that. You know, you need to do well in your shelf exams. You need to do well in your clinical rotations and, you know, make sure you have that so that the programs are able to see even though you have, you know, a low step score, you're able to make A's and B's. So you just might not be a great test taker. Well, hopefully they can have something there where they can help you. And I think that helped as well because in my clinical years, I basically got all A's and B's except I got one C in pediatrics. That was my first rotation and I didn't really know how to approach the shelf, but after that, I got straight A's and B's. So I think that's good too to do very well in your clinical rotations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really like that tip. I've never even heard or thought of that, but it makes perfect sense. Like, you you know, just collect. I mean, what do you have to lose? Do all those rotations, ask for letters, hoard them. And then if you need it, you have it right there in your arsenal. Yeah, Just waiting later on because you never know if you're going to need it or not.
1: So I really like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had personal statements for all of them too. And my personal statement was not like a big, like the meat of the my personal statement was basically the same, but it was just tweaked a little bit for each specialty.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So you have a template statement where you make sure that you highlight the key points about your personal story. But then when it comes to writing about the specialty in specific, then you switched it to fit the other specialty. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's another good tip, man. You're dropping some gems today. So lots of great tips for everybody listening. If you didn't hear that, go back. You can, you know, you can rewind and listen and you can have me on slow 0.5 if you want to just take down some of these notes. But I really think that this is is some great tips that she's dropping on us today, so.
1: But you have, you've dropped those same tips. That's where I got it from. (laughs) Well, I'm
0: just saying, because sometimes people
1: don't listen to me. (laughs) Sometimes they don't
0: listen. Sometimes they don't listen to me. (laughs) I'm happy that uh, my tips went to you. You implemented them and you're sending them back to my people. So that's,
1: yes, Yes. this is a testimonial.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. So now we're about to come to a close on this episode, but we like to hear, and you've given us so much advice already, but what is like your mantra for success? Because it sounds to me like you're very resilient from dealing with child loss and then pushing through, going to Caribbean, leaving your career, starting over. I mean, that's just a whole lot. So what is your, like, how do you do this? Like, how do you have that much resiliency to push?
1: I think (laughs) being so young as, you know, I was a young mom and being, you know, out on the streets, your mindset is different. I knew that I was determined to finish. I did not want to be a statistic. And so having that mindset has helped me develop the resilience, I think. And being told no so many times, always kind of being the underdog, you get tired of it because you get tired of being the underdog, you want to do well, but sometimes it's just, that's your journey. (laughs) I think it makes you stronger because you keep striving to do better. And so that is my mantra, always strive to do better. Yeah. And, you know, that is how I, how I try to live by, I don't like, when I really put my mind to something, I don't like to half do anything. I like to do the best that I possibly can, you know, and that's, that's, I think if you try that way, you will always succeed.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And how can other IMGs connect with you? Cause they're going to have tons of questions.
1: I am on Instagram. It's just new me. And you can reach me that way. That's the main social platform that I use. I do also have email. You can email me nina.s.snowden at gmail. That's fine as well. But I prefer to do Instagram just because I'm always on there. And it's just so quick (laughs) to, you know, respond to messages or do a quick video and or do a, you know, Q&A session, that kind of stuff. So I do prefer Instagram. I also do YouTube and I just, you know, put videos out there that I want to share regarding like whatever's going on. So they can check that out too. That's also, it's just new me.
0: Yeah. So we'll connect, we'll put all her information guys in the show notes. so You can click and be directed to her Instagram page and follow her and keep your questions coming. I recommend anyone listening, if you have questions, do it before she
1: starts her internship.
0: Because once she starts (laughs) work, people typically just, it's not that you don't like to be on social. You're just so busy.
1: Yeah. So definitely yeah. I just out. got my schedule too. And I can tell I'm going to be very busy.
0: <laughs> yeah. So definitely reach out now while you can and take advantage. Um She's been doing rounds on Matcha Resident and some other websites, some other pages on Instagram. Maybe sometime I'll have you take over my Instagram. Cause I was like, Ooh, she's.
1: Yeah. Oh, I would tomorrow. love to do that. Yeah. 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 So yeah. we'll plan for that. We'll plan for yeah. that. Yeah, I would love to do that. That would be awesome. We can do like a Q and A. Yeah. That would be so great. Like that. Yeah. Oh,
0: I'm totally in for it. So thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate all the advice you've given us today, all the pearls you've dropped on us. We wish you nothing but the best as you carry on. And I really honestly believe that, because I remember you we talked about how ranking your list and we've been chatting about this through direct messaging. And one of the things that you remember saying, I remember you saying was, you know, you're going to go where God leads you to. And you yes. applied to both family and OB. And I was like, if you want to be just, just go for that. Like, you don't have to take the other thing because that's what's easy. But you're like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm open to being either a family doctor or an obstetrician and and I'll go where the Lord has guided me. And in learning about your story today, I'm almost like, well, maybe that's why the Lord is guiding you into this. And that's why you're going to be an OBGYN because yeah. you have a really strong purpose and a story behind it. And you have felt a pain that, very few people can actually both feel the pain and be the solution. And so here you are becoming the solution, and I applaud you for that. And so I really wish you the very best in training.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Loom. And thank you for always being there for us and giving us all the resources that you give. I don't know if people realize that you work a full time <laughs> job as a hospitalist, right? Yes, I know. And right? then you basically also do this. it seems like full-time too, you know? So it's like, you have really put a lot of your personal time into your work and into your passion, you know? And so I thank you for that because you don't have a lot of that. There's not a lot of people that are out there. You're the only one, honestly, that I know that has been very consistent and been there. I know people talk the talk and they want to do it, but they don't realize how much work it is or they do and then they don't do it, but you're doing it.
0: And yeah so
1: I, I really really appreciate that and I want others to know that she is sacrificing so much you know you. and so oh. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for saying that and I I'm at a loss for words. But <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it so much. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys, if you like this podcast, this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, share it with your friends, but do leave us a review down 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 below. Just live as a, you know, tell us how you feel about it so that more people can reach this podcast and learn from it just like you are. Thanks guys.